We're going to continue in our sermon series today, and I see some new faces, so you probably don't know what we're doing. Uh, This is week five of eight of our Misconception series, and really what we're doing is we're taking a look at these common misunderstandings that we have uh, that really shape the way we see the world, it shapes the way we see God, it shapes the way we operate in our faith. Uh, and really, we, we hold on to these misunderstandings without really checking them out from a biblical point of view. First, to understand, are they for real, and are they worth holding on to? And so we've gone through a variety of topics so far, but today's, I think, is important, uh, once again, because I'd be willing to wager that there are uh, many, or most of us, who have given the advice that, I'm, that we're about to study, or you've certainly received it at some point in your life, But the misconception is that we should always follow our heart. You should always follow your heart. And this is a sentiment that's embraced by billions of people around the world in many different ways. Uh, It serves as the foundation for many stories and songs and movies. And it's reinforced in our culture over and over again. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's made our way into our church vernacular as well. And there's probably, again, like I said, a high likelihood at some point in your life you're trying to make a decision, maybe small or life-altering, and you go to a friend, a family member, maybe a respected Christian counselor or a pastor, and you reach the stalemate where at the end they say, I don't know what to tell you, you just need to follow your heart. And essentially, the idea of following your heart is this belief that you have this unfailing compass inside of you that will always point you in the right direction. And all you need to do is just have the courage to follow it. Just listen to your heart, and you'll never be led astray. Now, if only this were true, that would be great. And oftentimes, this overplayed and under-scrutinized cliché is used just to pacify an anxious heart, to give you some semblance of control that you yourself can call your own destiny and find all the truth in yourself. But if actually followed in all things, this doesn't just become a dangerous precept. It's, It's unbiblical at its core. And to always follow your heart is not really a way to freedom, at least the freedom that Christ can give us, but a way to slavery. It's slavery to yourself. And it leads to self-seeking, self-serving, and eventually self-worship. To be clear, I don't think that people give this advice in any ill intent. I think oftentimes we're just trying to help people and And at the end of a conversation, we just don't know what else to say. So we say, I don't know, just follow your heart. But when we look at the basic definition, before we look at biblical insight into why this is bad advice, the basic definition we can operate with here is is what is is the heart? First, that's important. Uh, We're not talking about the physical heart here, but the philosophical heart. And the word heart is actually found in the Bible in a philosophical sense over 300 times between the Old and the New Testament. And both in the the Hebrew and the Greek, it means essentially the same thing, that the heart is the center of our being, 
that it is the hub of all emotions, and it both stores and gives us all of our desires. It's, it's the core of who you are. And so when we say to follow your heart, what we're saying is what you feel, what you desire, and your emotions will be your guide in life. They will be your guide, and essentially they will be your God. To follow your heart in and of itself is an idolatrous statement, that we now replace God as the leader and the Lord of our life, and we do whatever we understand in our own minds. Now, fortunately, as we look at this, there's plenty in the Bible that gives us insight into this misconception. And as I said, it's referenced over 300 times, so we're only going to take a few quick looks at some things today. But the natural questions some of you may be asking is, why would God make us in a way that we can't trust our hearts and desires and our feelings? Did God mess up? Well, no, he didn't. Uh, We did, and that's our first point today, is that God did not create us this way. Our sinful hearts are actually a result of the fall. And as we look into this biblical insight, we're going to have you turn all the way back uh, to the beginning, Genesis 3. And Genesis, you know, is the beginning of it all. And we start first with an overview of creation here. And one thing is abundantly clear as we go through it. God didn't mess up in any way. He created everything exactly as he intended it to. That God, the creator... Uh, spoke everything into existence through all of his power, and it declared his majesty and reflected his glory. That God is the perfect author, builder, creator. Everything was created exactly as he intended it to be, and he alone is perfect in that. And something that's kind of neat, if you didn't know this, uh, the Amish who build beautiful furniture and and things uh, believe that, that God is the only perfect creator. And to this day, if you go to a store and you pick up a piece of furniture that looks really good, uh, they will say if it looks too perfect, they will put an intentional blemish into it because they believe only God can create perfect things. And that's what we read through Genesis 1 and 2, that God created people perfectly. And there's a turning point that we're going to get to in a moment here in Genesis 3, But one thing we note is that people were created differently than the rest of creation. Because you might say to yourself, well, the birds know just to fly north. It's their impulse and they act on it. Salmon will swim thousands of miles through the ocean into tiny creeks and find the exact spot in which they respond and then they'll lay their eggs themselves. And it's amazing. It's all impulse that they're following. So didn't God make us the same way? Well, no. Uh, We're created very differently than the rest of creation, and there's a few things that are important here. First is that God spoke everything into existence, but he formed one thing with his own hands. People. He formed it from the the dust of the earth, and, and now we have the fingerprints of God on us. That everything else was spoken, as I said, uh, but he filled one thing with his breath of life. People. So we have this special relationship with God and that we are created in his image 
or his likeness. We were created to reflect God himself. And when God created people, it wasn't just good. He said now everything was very good. And good here means to be in harmony with God that we're fulfilling his purposes. That our minds, our intentions, our actions, and our hearts were all very good. And rather than just working on our own impulses like the rest of creation might do, now we have a relationship with the Creator that's unique only to mankind. We're made different. There are no mistakes. We are not an accident. We're not just advanced monkeys that somehow mistakenly found their way into the universe. God created us on purpose and with purpose to be in relationship with Him. We don't follow impulses robotically. We follow God relationally. So we're created to relate with God, to reflect his image, and for a time, we did. And by we, I mean our oldest ancestors, Adam and Eve. Until this moment, Genesis 3.6. This is the point where it all fell apart. This is what we call the fall of mankind. And the serpent had been tempting them for a while to break the one rule that God gave them, which is you can eat everything in the garden except from the tree of knowledge. You have one rule to follow, and so naturally what is Satan going to tempt? To break that rule. And we're given this opportunity as humanity to really worship our Creator by obeying, trusting, and following. But Satan tempted in the same ways that he tempts us. Did God really say that? Was that really what he meant when he said that? And if you do this, you're actually going to be like God. It's the same thing that's reflected in our culture. Did God really say that? Or really think about what you want. Does God really know right and wrong? Or can you determine that for yourself? And this here is the moment that it all changed. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. We see uh, three key observations here. First, in the moment that changed everything in our relationship with God forever, she saw that it was good for food. And this really speaks to us, and this idea of following your heart, this, this deep urge and this desire that you have. And you may not be able to explain it. This is speaking specifically of physical hunger, but it's these achings, these feelings of the heart of, I really want this. Okay, and that's what we're told to follow, is whatever you desire. The next is that it is pleasing to the eye. And this speaks more of our impulse. These are the things that you react to. And it's, it's those moments, like if you go to the boat show, you know, and then you're like, I feel like God is telling me to buy a new boat. Uh, that's not true. It just looks shiny to you in the moment. And so she saw the fruit of this tree and she wanted it. And it's desirable for gaining wisdom. And this really means that now you're telling yourself that I know more than God, or at least I want to. We're elevating ourselves over God, or worse, we're replacing God with ourselves. That we do what's right in our own, our own eyes. And so we see here the moment it all changed. That Satan is deceptive, again, 
not very creative. He works in the same ways in us today. But this is the moment that both Adam and Eve, now we give Eve a hard time here, but Adam was right there with her, and I, I believe that both of them decided in their heart at the same time that they weren't going to trust and follow God. They made decisions based on their own understanding what was right and wrong. And now they're banished from the garden after this, and everyone will be cursed in the generations after. So that's me and you. We're born with this same attitude in our heart and a bent towards sinfulness. Humanity turned from very good to very dead. That they're dead in their sins. That sin corrupted our relationship with our Creator, and now things are forever changed. And our hearts now pump with this deceit and this foolishness. And rather than believing we can be saved by our hearts, that's what we're told now, always follow our hearts, we biblically understand we need to be saved from our hearts. That's our next point. If you flip uh, forward into the books of the prophets in Jeremiah 17, that we cannot trust our heart, let alone understand it. And the whole concept of following your heart is built around this idea that people are basically good. And it implies that the direction we need is found in ourselves towards fulfillment, happiness, and goodness. But over and over again, we find in the Old Testament, specifically after that verse we just read, that things kind of go haywire. And people are always following what they feel and what they desire before God, and the consequences are grim. All through the book of Genesis, we see it. Through the book of Exodus, this, this nation that should be following God through the wilderness keeps following themselves, and it stretches this journey on for 40 years. Through the book of Judges, this cycle over and over again of people doing what is right in their own eyes, and it leads to their own destruction. The kings, you have some that are good, like David, who was a, a man after God's own heart, but you have many others who are people who believed only in themselves. And now into the prophets, all through it you see this consistent theme of these prophets who are begging with their people to follow God. And that's exactly, exactly where Jeremiah is. And he's one that's known as the lamenting prophet. He sees his own people of Judah and he's so saddened by this, and he's begging with them to follow God and not follow themselves. And we're going to read Jeremiah 17, 9, which I think most of you will be familiar with. But to give some context, this is a section where God is saying through the prophet to the people of Judah, stop trusting in yourself or in other people. Stop doing everything in your own power and stop turning away from me. You cannot trust yourself. And so he gives this verse here. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now this again is one of those uh, Bible verses you're probably not going to find on a Christian t-shirt or a, a coffee mug because it really hits all of us to the core and explains what we're dealing with when you say something like, follow your heart. And Jesus takes it a step further uh, in the New Testament, the book of Mark. He says it's from what's within that will defile you, that from a person's heart all evil thoughts come. 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Not a great list, and not something you should be following above the Lord. And so I just want to help you think of this in another perspective. When you tell someone to follow their heart, or you're believing this in your own life, think about this scenario. All right, you're helping, you're counseling someone along who's making a difficult decision, and you say, you know what? I got someone I could recommend to you who would be a great mentor, a great guide, a great leader that you can trust and will never disappoint you. That person would say, great, tell me more about that person. Well, get this. They're deceitful above all things. They are sexually deviant. Uh, They steal, kill. They're very greedy and envious. They're angry, prideful, and they lie a ton. And most of all, they are foolish. So what do you think? Of course, the person would say, are you kidding me? I'm not going to follow a politician. (laughs) Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is speaking of the hearts of all people, right? Well, of course no one would follow like that, let alone trust them above all things. So why would we choose or suggest for people to follow their own heart? We're hopelessly lost without God. And that our hearts are deceitful. And this is interesting here in the Hebrew. Deceitful uh, really means ambushed. And uh, it, it gives some connotation to uh, when Jacob, you know, grabs his brother by the heel, that's called being deceitful. Uh, when Satan will strike at the heel, that means he's trying to ambush or overtake. So when our hearts are deceitful, they're actually ambushed by Satan. And in a contemporary word, it means hijacked. Or in a very contemporary word, it means hacked. Essentially, our hearts have been hacked. And now they are deceitful. We can't trust them. And that they're beyond cure, which means desperately sick or wicked, that the answer is not inside of us, the problem is inside of us, and the solution is outside of us. Only God can make us whole because our hearts are beyond cure, and that we can't understand it, but only one person does, and that's the Lord, as we read in verse 10, that he searches us and he knows our hearts and our minds, which is why he knows we need a new heart. But the truth is that nothing lies to us more than our own hearts. And if it's a compass, it's, it's a spinning compass with no real direction. And there's many examples we see of our hearts leading us astray. And uh, this week, uh, when I was talking over this concept with Pastor Phil, he said, you've got to reference the show The Bachelor. And admittedly, I've never seen an episode of The Bachelor, but I know the premise. It's like 30... Uh, women, all strangers to this man, a single man, who all are trying to be the last one um, to, to be with this man, that they're all going to follow their hearts. And conveniently, all 30 women believe in their hearts that this man is the one. All right? It probably has nothing to do with the fact that there's this huge cash prize at the end if they're the last one. And this man now follows his heart uh, through a few months of meeting these strangers and then settles down with the one and they get married or, or whatever. All right, so this, is, this show has been going on a long time. In over 27 seasons, do you know how many of those couples are still together? Yeah, it's like two, okay? So even in baseball, we're failing seven times out of ten, still good. Uh, this will still get you demoted. So these are not good odds. This whole follow-your-heart concept, it's deceitful. And you think you know what you want, you think you understand it, 
but you don't. And it actually jogged in my memory uh, a, very, a very painful memory, in fact, of uh, my romantic life. And um, this is a story Manny just found about this last week. I've been married for 13 years. And you're hearing some of these details the first time with her. So there's a time that I knew exactly who I was going to marry. And I had my whole life planned out with her. I knew how many kids we'd have. I knew what kind of house we'd have. She sat next to me in class, all right? And I knew the statistics that we weren't going to make it, but my heart was telling me she was the one. And I, for months, had this burden in my heart that I had to approach her. And one day I finally found the courage. And I asked her if she would be my girlfriend, knowing this was the moment that would change my life forever. And she said, no. She said, I already have a boyfriend in another class. In fact, I have another boyfriend in another class. And I'm just not sure I can handle three boyfriends right now. I was crushed. My heart lied to me, and I was broken. And forever, second grade will be the most painful, <laughs> the most painful moment of my romantic life. But I recovered, and I was able to love again. And now, after 13 years, I've been with my wife, Mandy. But the point being here, we often think we know what we want. We, we think our heart could never fail us, and if we just lead it, we will always, always be happy, and it will always be true. But God knows our heart, and that's why he knows we need a new heart. And that's our next point here, is that we're given a new heart when we follow Jesus. That he's repairing in us and replacing in us this broken and this darkened heart. And we're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again a verse we probably, uh, most of us know already. But this idea we're going to read was prophesied many times uh, by, by the prophet Jeremiah that we just came out of, that I will give them a new heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, and they will return to me with their whole heart. In Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, the business of the God is of our God is a heart transplant. That he doesn't just give us a heart or repair our heart, he gives us a brand new heart. And that's the concept we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. And this really tells us a few things. First, it's if anyone is in Christ. And this shows us that nobody is too far gone, that anyone who comes to Christ will experience this. But it's also in Christ. In other words, it's not us, it's not our hearts, it's not our desires, it's Jesus who makes us new. And Jesus does what no one else could do. The answer is not inside of us, the answer is apart from us. And Jesus gives us a new heart. Once we're hopeless in the spiritual death, we're a shattered image of God, but now through Christ we've been reconciled with our Creator, and we're made new. That we're made a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is the pure power of the gospel really in display in this verse, that it's not just 
about making bad people good or good people better, but those who were dead in their sin are now alive in Christ through this radical transformations. And it affects every part of us. And so some might be thinking, if God makes us new and gives us this new heart, if you're a Christian, why couldn't you just follow your heart? Well, this is one of those now but not totally yet kind of moments. That our hearts in this life are still affected by sin. We're still at battle with the flesh when we're a Christian. And the theological concept here is sanctification. It's this idea that there's a process at work in us that we were once slaves to sin, but now in Jesus we're still at war with sin in the flesh. And one day that, that war will be over, sin will be no more, but we're not quite there yet. And even though we have this distinct change in our life, there's this new direction, these new desires, there's new perspective, we're still not complete And until that point, when we're made totally new, we still have to trust in the perfect author of life first, who's working these great things in us. See, in the meantime, he does give us a guide. We have an an inclination, we have these promptings of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us discernment and wisdom in moments that at times can feel like it's from the heart, but it's really from God. And in those times, we have to really put it to the test, put our hearts to the test. And the first thing I'll say is consider, when you're feeling that urge, that desire, consider the content of it. Is it consistent with the truth of God? Because the Holy Spirit would never prompt you to do something that's in contradiction with his word. And that's why it's so important to know what's in here. This is the first test of your feelings and your desires. And the second is to consider the quality of what you're being prompted to. Is it consistent with the qualities of Jesus? Is it rooted in love? Is it rooted in the service of others? Is it rooted in humility, kindness, and compassion? And the third thing is the conclusion. Where does does this prompting, this feeling lead? Is it to build his kingdom or is it to build yourself? And those are very different from one another. But use discretion first when you feel a prompting of the heart. And always follow Jesus first. And that's really our last point for the day and kind of our conclusion of the sermon. About as simple as you can make it. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Lord. Now, we hope and we pray that those things are the same. But they won't always be the same. Not in this life. Until that time, always seek the Lord first. And for this last point, we're going to go back to the book of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 3, in a, uh, another verse you probably all know. But we see this uh, consistent calling of Christ of walk away from your old life, follow me. If you love me, obey me. If you love me, Live or abide in my word. And those who want to be my disciples should deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Follow me. Do not follow your heart. Follow the Lord. And in the book of Proverbs, we see this verse, that we are to trust in the Lord 
with all our heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your paths. This is the crucial part here. You trust in the Lord first, not in what's inside of you. So rather than trusting in your heart, you trust in the Lord with your heart. Lean not in your own understandings. And this is one of those moments, what you feel in the moment, just like my second grade romance, all right, is probably not true. We see the world in a way that we think is correct. But how many times have you had those moments of, boy, I really dodged a bullet on that one. If I had done what my gut was telling me, that would have been really bad. I wish, or on the other uh, side of that, I wish I knew now what I knew then. But God understands all things and he has a good and perfect will. So in all your ways, submit to him and seek his will above your own. And he will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. Don't follow your heart, but diligently direct your heart to follow God and to obey his commands first. Now, I know this isn't always easy. There's a lot of things that uh, we wish we knew in the moment. And it's hard to discern what the right choices are but fortunately, Jesus tells us that he leaves for us a guide, a counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in his name and will teach us all things and bring us to remembrance of all that Jesus said. In other words, we will be taught and directed by the Holy Spirit, and we will always be consistent with what Jesus has already instructed us. Now, as a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and this is a great gift as we navigate through life reveals truth in your heart and points you to Christ. And so one of the great ways to hear from the Holy Spirit is to read the Word. The Holy Spirit speaks truth into our lives through this. To pray, to bring these feelings and desires before the Lord, knowing He will be our guide. And to be patient. This is a hard part. We want an answer right now. Sometimes you need to be patient through seasons and trust in His timing. But our hearts were never designed to be a God or our guide. They were designed to follow God. Do not follow the, your heart. Follow the Lord. So I hope today you don't feel beat up by this. Okay, We're all going to continue to make mistakes. We're going to follow these inclinations that maybe are down the wrong path. But I don't want you to feel like you're good for nothing. All right? But I do want you to remember that you're not perfect. All right? And the answers do not lie inside of you. They are outside of you. And seek the Lord in that. God did not intend for you to submit to your own desires, to indulge the flesh or your heart. But he wants you to submit to him. All right? And this is purely out of his love. Because he has an infinitely better plan for your life than what you have for yourself. And if you believe you have this flawless navigation system built inside of you, you will be led astray. And there will be consequence beyond what you can realize in the moment. But you'll discover as you trust God and follow him that he can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask for or imagine in your own heart. 
Don't follow your heart. Follow the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, that there is such an amazing opportunity, uh, such love and compassion from you that, that we don't have to be subject to our own wills and our own doings, uh, which ultimately leads in, in death and destruction and heartache. But God, you've given us the ability to come to you, and that's all through your son Jesus who came to reconcile our relationship with you, that you're working to make it exactly as you intended to be. And so we pray for that, Lord, to be very, very soon. Um, Until that day, uh, God, may we just trust in you first. But I pray for anyone here today who's been going through life all by themselves, who've been trusting only in themselves and what their heart is telling them. If they're at that point where they're they're ready to trust you, God, I pray that they would just understand that, that we are all sinful people that we have this distance from you we cannot make up ourselves, but you sent your Son to be an outstretched arm to humanity, that your Son came and died as payment for our sins, that rose from the dead and now brings us into new life restored in you. So I pray for those people that they would know that, believe that in their hearts, and that they would trust in you now as the Lord and the Master of their life. God, when that happens, you promise you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, so, God, I pray for them now, if they've made that decision, that they would run after you uh, fully and never look back. But, God, we pray for all of us, no matter where we are in our journey, that we just stay away from that idea that we can find the answers within us, but, Lord, that we'd always look to you, we'd follow you first and foremost with our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.